0: This podcast is sponsored by tenothose.com. ofthosecom handpick the best Christian books that point to Jesus and sell them at discounted prices. Extraordinary Hospitality by Karen and Lacey has been such a helpful read over the last few months as we emerge from lockdowns. In it, Karen explores seven ways in which we can reflect God's character in the way we welcome others into our homes and into our lives, and so point people ultimately to Christ. It's been so wonderfully practical for me, and also, as she just points us time and again to the generous welcome we receive from God, it's such a tonic for our hearts as we're spurred on to become more like Jesus ourselves, extending extraordinary hospitality. Why not use our Two Sisters discount at 10 in the show
1: notes to grab yourselves a coffee after this episode. Welcome to Two Sisters and a Cup of Tea. My name is Felicity, and I live in the USA, and this is my sister Sarah. She lives in England. Hi hey everyone hi Sarah how are you
0: I'm very well thank you
1: yeah I've just caught a glimpse of your mug or is it a cup I mean we haven't really talked about the distinction between a mug and a cup but kind of delicate but not quite but quite an impressive design
0: yes thank you very much um, it has to be said it's more of a thimble and um, it's actually a child size mug we went pot I took the kids pottery painting in the summer they have been like wanting to do this for ages and I'm like right before we leave newcastle we're gonna go pottery painting <laughs> turns out it was one of the most stressful experiences of the summer holidays like three kids and me perfectionist um trying to <laughs> paint on pottery when you can't make mistakes not the most fun experience but I did paint a little mug because that was the cheapest thing in the shop (laughs) it's tiny (laughs) it holds like a quarter of a cup of tea um but I did paint our
1: logo on it of our little and thing it's so pleasing it's got a special name that hasn't it I think it's an ampersand I've got an ampersand (laughs) thimble mug
0: yes and I've got lemon revitalizing lemon and ginger in it today and I'm actually it's quite surprising myself it's actually all right
1: Wow. Branching out there. I've been thinking that I need to branch out, actually. I mean, if we are doing a podcast entitled Two Sisters and a Cup of Tea, I'm not sure we can do season upon season with just Yorkshire tea and Earl Grey. And I mean, your hot water habit, not sure that even counts, (laughs) to be honest. But lemon and ginger, maybe. I'm thinking I need to, I maybe need to get some recommendations. I mean, listeners, if you've got any recommendations on tea that I might enjoy. We've got a posh tea shop just down the road. I should probably just go and... uh, So, what have
0: you
1: got today? Oh, just a classic Earl Grey. I'm I'm just really into Earl Grey at the moment. But I have in a very American fashion, I have a classic as well, the American cookie. Homemade. Interestingly, in America, you are much more likely to get a good cookie if it is homemade. They rarely buy their cookies. Mm -hmm. And they and the idea that in, in England we have these kind of big lines of shelves of uh biscuits okay, oh, so much choice aisles yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> aisles thanks <laughs> terminology <laughs> but like they just don't really buy biscuits in the same way here so it's just kind of like you'd make your cookies and they mm. uh, whereas we don't really do that in England. I don't think we're we're quick not quick to try and make a custard cream are we? or uh, it's even harder isn't it it involves two biscuits and some cream in the middle yeah fair point fair point this is not a jammy dodger with jam in there as yeah. well
0: anyway we're getting stuck into Esther chapter two today but firsty before we do can you give us like a really quick recap of what happened in the first introduction part of Esther one
1: Yes, well, it was all set up for us, I feel like the narrator has been setting the scene in a big way, and the big way is really this big empire, the Persian Empire, under King Xerxes, who's sitting in his citadel of Susa, and we have this picture of a wealthy, splendid, majestic place, and in the midst of it all, however, there is a king who seems to be powerful, but actually is weak and mm-hmm. there's a domestic crisis his queen refuses to do what he says and in rather than deal with it in a normal kind of marital fashion he brings in lawyers advisors and it becomes a an empire-wide issue and so Vashti the queen has been dismissed mm-hmm. and so we're waiting to see what's going to happen next and what what is going to become of King Xerxes mm. is this kind of power gonna gonna play out or is it gonna unravel as we've begun to see
0: Okay, well, let me read chapter two for us. Uh, we're reading from the NIV. I don't know whether we mentioned that last in the last couple of episodes. And that's the translation that we are working from, the NIV. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Now, there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, Many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Hegai. Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favour. Immediately, he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked to and fro near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Before a young woman's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh and six with perfumes and cosmetics, and this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem to the care of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. When the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, daughter of his uncle Abhail, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Hagar, the king's eunuch, with who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favour of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the tenth month, the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women, and she won his favour and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality just as Mordecai had told her to do so, for she'd continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she'd done when he was bringing her up. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bithana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai, and when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the Book of the Annals in the presence of the king.
1: Thank you, Sarah. Quite a chapter, isn't it? I I think every time I read it or listen to it, I'm struck more by just what an ugly scene this is. Ironically, because beauty is mentioned again and again and again, but actually Mm -hmm. this is the ugly underbelly of the empire, isn't it, I think. And this, what is happening to Esther, like how Xerxes is going about finding his new queen, Mm -hmm. this just smacks of exploitation and just really sinister aspects to what's going on here.
0: I think it's very easy to skip over that, isn't it? And kind of just, as you say, it's so much about beauty competition. Um, essentially, isn't it? What's yeah. happening here? But actually, unearth what's going underneath that, and and women from around the world, around the provinces, are, are being snatched from their homes. Essentially, they're being trafficked into the palace uh, in order to perform, yeah, for the king.
1: Yeah, and that the king would then, you know, choose to place his favor on this person or that person, and and there's no. It seems that Esther has no control at all as to whether she. She she just has to go, doesn't she? As you say, that she seems to be snapped.
0: She has to go, and I think it's the it's the language there. She was taken; they were mm-hmm. brought into that. Like there's a kind of continual refrain of they were taken. Like this isn't this isn't she, her just walking up to the palace and saying pick me. Yeah, like it's not that. And Mordecai is obviously very concerned. He's going back and forth, concerned. Uh, whereas at verse eleven, he walked to and fro near the courtyard of the hurry to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Yeah, um, he doesn't know what's going on in that palace. He's so dependent on people telling her. So he's there every day trying to work out whether she's okay. It's yeah. a terrifying situation. He's not. She's not his daughter. You know, she was entrusted into his care because she's all, already had this tragic upbringing of both parents dying, and um, they're in a they're in a kingdom where they're a minority and they fear for their lives um, and they fear for saying who they really are. And then she's taken into this world. And as you say, this sinister um, place, and he doesn't know what's going on.
1: Mm, and I think that is it, is, and it's quite a long time. It's, it's a lengthy process, this whole kind of all these beauty treatments mm. and all of this. So well, a long time of not knowing whether she's going to be all right, because presumably if she was not chosen, then she'd be kind of dispatched of, but not much of a future, I assume, once you've been in the king's kind of harem in this kind of way. But yeah. thankfully, verse 17, well, thankfully, I mean, we say thankfully from the big picture point of view, don't we? Because we we kind of are, are beginning to see who Esther is in terms of her stock, her ancestry, where she's coming from. Well, where um, do you
0: see that then? Where Because it is like the narrator is very specific to point that out today.
1: Yeah. So uh, check out verse five. We get a really specific um, mention of. So now there was an, a, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So Mordecai Mm -hmm. and therefore Esther are of descent of the tribe of Benjamin, very much of God's people. And more specifically than that, Mm -hmm. who the son of Kish, so he is of the same descent as King Saul. So that's really specific, isn't it? Yes, so King Saul was the
0: most famous son of Kish. Um, And we're going to see in the next chapter that there's um, a a generation strong rivalry between Saul and some, um, and another people group um another king specifically. Um, but so this is really specific. The narrator is really pointing out here. He's like underlining at every point. Yeah. Isn't he? This is, <laughs> yeah. this is, you know, this is really important that you get just, who Esther and Mordecai are and who that, where they come from. But I think what's really interesting that, they again, uh, they're then located within a number of other kings. So it's um, within uh, King, King Nebuchadnezzar and then King Jehorachin, um, and also thinking about Saul as well. And I think yeah. that's just really interesting because as we see this kingdom set up of King Xerxes, um we're, I think the narrator is also pointing us to the fact that actually it's just another kingdom. Mm. And as we see the, the whole way through the Bible, kingdoms rise and fall, and that's been the state, you know, from from uh, when time began. And yet there's another king
1: whose kingdom will never fall. Yeah, um, that's such a good point. Yeah. And we're
0: just kind of starting to see the rumblings of that, I think.
1: Yeah, that, that, that this this empire is just one in the midst of all mm. these, these kingdoms that have come and gone before. And, and so... Having highlighted that Esther is of this ancestry, suddenly as readers, knowing that we're reading this in the biblical context, really, we have opened the Bible to read it. And so therefore, when we hear mention of the tribe of Benjamin, we hear, we're thinking God's people. And suddenly I think we're just more primed to see God at work because Mm -hmm. God champions his people. That is a theme throughout the Bible. That is what drives the whole rescue mission, the Messiah plan, all those kind of things. So when then we get in verse 17, this wonderful sentence, so he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen Mm -hmm. instead of Vashti. That is just such a sort of statement of action. This is where Esther is now. She's gone from being um, the kind of marginalized um, exile, taken off into um, the Persian Empire. She's nothing, and now she is queen. Yeah, not not sure quite how much power that really means, considering we've just seen Vashti dismissed <laughs> That's so but It's significant,
0: isn't it? There's significance there. He's pointing it out. Um, the narrator's pointing it out. But then, what's really interesting is straight after that, we get a, a little glimpse into a scene which is actually really important for the rest of the book. And I think the narrator is equally wanting to point out this this is really important Mm. and what you're seeing here is not a coincidence of what's happening and so I'm talking about the bit with Mordecai uncovering this conspiracy uh, to murder the king He, he overhears this plot he tells Esther Esther gives credit to Mordecai when she tells the king and it's all written down and that becomes crucially important for as the story goes on and I think you just yeah the narrator tunes our eyes and tunes our ears into the fact that um there aren't coincidences in God's providence. There's no, you know, this isn't just a mistake or a, you know, Oh, fancy that that he managed to overhear. This is very specific timing that this person overheard these people and yeah, it was written down. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and just a sneak preview into the next chapter, just when you're reading on and do read on, do make sure you're reading the story outside of listening and have a look at what happens next at the start of chapter three. It's not quite what we would expect, given that Mordecai has just foiled a plot against the king, which is quite amazing considering uh, this king has taken his beloved Esther and doesn't seem to be very kind in that way. So yeah. let's think, um, Sarah, driving this to the heart, this is quick, isn't it? <laughs> We're going to have to get to the get to the All nub right. of it quite quickly. All so right. what, what sort of things have struck you as you've been um, dwelling in this in this chapter?
0: Um, I think I think the way that the storyteller roots Esther in the big story, in the big Bible story here has felt really significant because actually what we're doing as readers is we're rooting ourselves in that Bible story as well. And I think it just encourages me that actually in this in this province, in this place far away from the promised land he's showing us that God's at work and he's specifically giving kind of references to that. Mm -hmm. And I think as we think to our own world and our own situation where it it can't, you know, I think it can just feel like God is so absent sometimes. And yet I think this just helps me to remember that, no, no, we're rooted in the same big picture here. We're rooted in the same um, story and same timeline. Jesus hasn't come back yet. We're still, we're still in, in okay yeah and Does so makes sense
1: I, yeah and so as we then see begin to see God's hand at work here so we're mm-hmm. reassured that this timeline this history this like God's plan is still the one yeah. that's happening yeah no that, I think that's really helpful because the the danger is that we want to kind of isolate this whole incident don't we begin to think oh well you know Esther, what's she doing what's going on seems to be quite compromised all that kind of stuff but actually taking a step back and seeing it in the big, bible picture then we're reassured god is at work he is championing his people and we're we're kind of waiting to see what's going to happen for esther on that front but we're reassured that that is still what he's doing now
0: i don't think that lessens the fear and the kind of rumblings of what is going on here that Mm. this is happening to god's people and this is happening to esther she's been taken into this sinister environment it's it's obviously horrific what's going on and i think there's these rumblings of why is this allowed to happen yeah. And that's as much as kind of, you know, a valid question that we've got in our hearts, isn't it? And I think mm. that we will kind of get a picture on, but that that's there as well for me. Um,
1: and I think the there's part. no easy answer on that. And I, I think we should expect an easy answer. The, the reality is that this is the world that we're seeing before us, aren't we? The Persian Empire in many ways just is very like a godless world. Mm. And so the dark underbelly of it Maybe this is supposed to then help us as we look around as well, and s- just see the world for what it really is. Mm-hmm. And these kind of things do still happen and are still happening. And and I, yeah, I think I think I was struck by that in the well, actually, well, let let me see the world with clarity, um, mm-hmm. with with God's eyes. And he's not shying away. The narrator is not shying away from the dark side. He's not sort of hiding it because actually, then God Himself. As he steps in, then that's where the hope lies. So it's almost like it pushes our hope elsewhere. Like this is not a place to put your hope in this kingdom.
0: No, and it exposes it exposes the world's kingdom, doesn't it? And it even more you want a king, a king and a kingdom who mm. does not um, act in this kind of way, yeah. and who again, as we've seen, his power is nothing. He's you know he's just following advisors in every way, and he's, yeah, yeah, it's... It's awful,
1: isn't it?
0: Um, yeah. Felicity, would you like to pray for us? I'm aware that time's running away with us
1: already. Would you like to pray as we close? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, we praise you so much that uh, you are the same God now as we read of in Esther. Um, we praise you that you are at work, um, championing your people, delivering your people, and that as we see here, just the hints of what you're beginning to do in Esther's story. We love that we are in the same story, the same timeline. We are worshipping the same God. And as we look around at the world and see similar kind of dark, sinister things, we, we praise you that you are the God of light, the God of rescue, the God of greater things than this. And we pray that this would really be dwelling in our hearts, that we might love you more as we read this. Amen. Amen. Wow, it's quick, um, isn't it? it is quick. I feel like we haven't really got into
0: that in a way that we wanted to. But um, I guess that's going to be the story with
1: Esther, isn't it? As hopefully the bit picture builds week by week, and we'll see, yeah. see where we get to. Yeah, yeah. And do be chatting about it with with other people. Do be reading ahead. Do be reading the whole story. I think it's only going to work if we're all doing more than just this twenty minutes every week, isn't it? Absolutely.
0: Check out the show notes for the questions. And yeah,
1: and the discount code for the books. And- oh yes, so- and
0: we look forward to seeing you next week.
1: Yeah, all right. Bye-bye. All right.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been sponsored by 10 Check them out for great Christian books that point to Jesus.